0: Welcome back to the Para Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today it's my great pleasure to introduce to you Ryan Pinney. Ryan is a Paralympic cyclist in the H3 category and he He's a one-time Paralympian. He went to Tokyo and got the bronze medal in the mixed team relay, as well as some pretty good performances in the road race and the time trial. So welcome to the podcast, Ryan.
1: Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to to do this with you. It's been a little bit of time since I saw you last, but it's it's always great to discuss nutrition, discuss the sport, and get to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you could jump on with us. So, to start us off with, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into paracycling?
1: Sure. I was in the US military, US Air Force for uh, 14 years. I really didn't, you know, like most people, I, I really didn't know much about parasport. I knew about the Paralympics, but didn't know much about parasport. And in uh, 2012, I actually wrecked on a bicycle in a race went over yeah. the handlebars, broke my back. And it was kind of crazy because while I was doing my rehab, the Paralympics were actually going on. Yeah. I have an uncle and a, and a cousin who were watching wheelchair basketball and a bunch of different sports. And they were like telling me, Ryan, you got to check this out. Like we could see you doing something. Like no matter what, you're going to excel at what, whatever you, whatever sport you decide to play. Like we just see something happening here. And mm-hmm. that's one of those things that I've never forgotten because it's kind of like, you know, two people, two family members that are close to me that really helped push me in the sport direction. And mm-hmm. none of us even knew what Parasport was, you know. So I tried wheelchair basketball first, didn't mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> even though I love <laughs> basketball, I didn't like it. You know, tried the swimming, tried the track chair, you know, like running. And yeah. I just felt like I was in a sardine can. And those, those guys yeah. have all my respect, you know, being able to push 26.2 miles in a, in a, in a track chair is just impressive. Yeah. But, uh, the first time I got in a hand cycle, I just fell in love. And, mm. uh, a nonprofit organization that heard about my injury that works with wounded service members, they actually donated a hand cycle to me. And as soon as I got it, I had to get home and get on the bike on the hand cycle Mm -hmm. right away Uh, because it was freedom to me you know one i was Mm -hmm. in the sardine can two it was back to riding bikes again and it's the old adage you know you fall off a bike you get back on right well this was a new way for me to to get back on the bike and i lived my life even before i got hurt with you know what you don't stop doing the things that you love we all have we all have barriers in our lives that that stop us from doing different things but you find a new way to do the things that you love and Mm. this was the hand cycle was a new way to you know ride bikes again i could go out with my wife i can go out with my friends and it was freedom out of the chair Mm. and into freedom and as soon as i started you know riding around my neighborhood i was like I'm a super competitive individual. All right, now let's look (laughs) for races. (laughs) Let's look for races and let's look for coaching because uh, I want to not just participate in these races, I want to win these races. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's just a little introduction of how, yeah, of how I got really introduced to the sport and parasport in general.
0: That was pretty serendipitous that it was around the time that the Paralympics were on so that you could actually get that exposure. I guess there wasn't as much exposure then as there is now in the US to Paralympic sport. Have you found that people actually have a better understanding of what you're doing now than what they did back in 2012?
1: You know, I I want to say yes. I don't really know i mean it's 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 a lot easier to say yes when you're engulfed or immersed in the in the sport and in para sport Mm -hmm. you know because i mean people see me and people know me and they they kind of research para sport a little bit more Mm -hmm. especially after going to tokyo my friends my family my neighbors they mm-hmm. are invested now on a different level because they saw me previous to tokyo you know outriding and they kind of saw it as like oh this is cool hobby way to go yeah, once they saw yeah. me and the exposure that nbc sports did with with tokyo i think they see now that it's not a hobby it's a different level i mean this is a mm-hmm. career this is a job now uh yeah. so but in the general framework I think it's a lot better than it was in 2012 because the only things that we got in 2012 was like the the big sports, wheelchair basketball. I didn't I didn't even get to watch, you know, hand cycling mm. in twenty twelve unless I went on like YouTube and tried to find it. But mm. I, I think it's better, but I believe there's a long way, a long, 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 yeah. long way to go.
0: Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your impairment first? You were riding a BMX bike, correct? Correct. When you had your accident, yeah. So can tell us a little bit about your impairment, and and therefore, as a result of that, what your classification is, and what events you're racing.
1: Yeah, I uh, broke my back. Got yeah, broke my back at about the T10 area, right around you know, feeling is right around the belly button, belly button area, and got a fusion. Got my back fused. Got metal. Put in my back as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year after my accident, I actually did elect to get the medal taken out of my back. Um, okay. So, and I, I just felt like that was a lot be- better for comfort, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, it's a decision I would do over and over again. As far as that goes, I um, got classified as H3. So the H3 class is, is made up of more paraplegics, paraplegic athletes, you know, guys that have full functioning arms and mm-hmm. anywhere between like from kind of the shoulders down to the to the midsection have no use or they're complete spinal cord injuries for sure. I have Mm -hmm. a complete spinal cord injury and no use of legs, limited use of ab muscles, no hip flexors. And you're you you race with, you know, similar athletes that Mm -hmm. are in that same general realm, whether it be, you know, T6, T8, T, T10, And, you know, I find that the H3 class is probably the most competitive class. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of it is because we have the most athletes, you know, out there. Mm -hmm. And I I believe we have the most athletes out there is because the most common, I don't necessarily know if it's the most common, but I think it's a it's an injury that we all sustain you know, around adulthood, you know, maybe in the 20s or 30s. And, you know, we're looking to be competitive where the other classes, H4, it is kind of more higher functioning paraplegics, you know, guys that do have more ab muscles and have some use of their legs. Some of them can walk uh, Mm -hmm. impaired, you know, impaired walking but it's mm-hmm. also people that are born with you know spina bifida or born with different ailments and yep. so it's, it's it's kind of difficult for H4 athletes cuz they I mean they're able-bodied individuals in their own right I mean they're definitely para para sport athletes but they're able-bodied individuals in their own right sometimes mm-hmm. um and H3 guys we've had to overcome a change of our bodies you know to yep. kind of a huge change in our bodies you know a huge change in our life and and now once we've adapted and 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 found out what our new normal was and are are, are thriving in our new normal really then we get that competitive bug and start you know going after it and we're yeah. all pretty pretty competitive yeah
0: yeah the mess starts for the road race is uh pretty hectic in the h3 isn't it
1: it, it truly is. Uh, and I'm glad they've, they've changed some some uh, ways that they've gone about the starts because H3 class in 2019 and prior, I want to say it was a race before the race. It was, you know, we were lining up an hour, hour and a half prior to the race even starting because you get 55, 55 guys in one start and you can only go four wide you know and you want to be up as close to the front as possible or else your race has ended before it's even started
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and so and and there were a couple of race courses where there was a pretty sharp corner right fairly soon after the start so things did get very hectic
1: oh yeah sharp corners and roundabouts are treacherous
0: Okay, and so you race in the road race and the individual time trial, and then there's also the mixed relay that, that you have the potential option of racing depending on how the makeup of a of a nation's hand cycles are, correct?
1: Correct, yes.
0: So can you give us a little bit of an explanation about what the time trial looks like for you? Like how long does it usually take? What's the terrain? What about the road race and therefore, and what's the mixed team relay look like?
1: Yeah, let's start at the individual time trial. So the individual time trial is, and it's, it's a race against the clock, you know, it's typically mm-hmm. right around 20 kilometers, give or take three to five And it's not really, you don't really look at it as I can do 20 kilometers in such and such time. It all depends on what the course looks like, what the climb gradients are. Mm -hmm. So you just, you just judge it based off of each individual course. So like, let's take last year, for instance, we go to Belgium and we have a 20 kilometer time trial in Belgium. That's pretty flat right and mm-hmm. i can't remember the times but i want to say we finished it around 31 minutes 32 mm-hmm. minutes for h3 class and then the next week we go to germany and it's a approximately 17 kilometer time trial so it's a shorter time trial mm-hmm. so you're thinking it's going to be a much faster time trial well it's a non-stop climb you know so mm-hmm. it take took about I don't know, I'm going to say it was like 50 minutes for the winner, 55 minutes, 50 to 55 Mm. minutes for the top five. So it's a much more difficult race, even though it's shorter. So it's just a race against the clock. And you are going as full gas as you can go from the start to the end. And you're Mm. giving it your, your absolute all. Yep. The road race, which I love the road race. I'm a road racer at heart. I uh, That's mm-hmm. my absolute favorite, is a mass start, like we talked about just a second ago. And it's everybody lined up, and whoever crosses the finish line first wins. Uh, mm-hmm. You do drafting. Drafting is allowed in the road race, where it's not allowed in the individual time trial. And yep. for H3, we typically have right around 40 to 55 in world cups anyway 40 to 55 starters mm. to start the the road race and it it breaks up pretty quickly you know who are going to be there at the end fairly quickly cuz it's not like watching the tour de france and watching you know these guys pedal off you know easily and all mm-hmm. bunched up together it's i would say the best the best comparison is if you watch world cup uh, mountain biking uh-huh. able body world cup mountain biking because they just like we do as soon as the the, the start happens push the first lap extremely hard pretty you hard know, and mountain yep. biking mm-hmm. yeah and mountain biking does the same thing and then the second lap could be pretty hard uh the third lap kind of it tapers off a little bit but at that point you get a good separation of people mm-hmm. the distance on that again it varies depending on the course depending on the country So I would say is anywhere between 50 kilometers to, what was it? Tokyo was 80, yeah, 80 kilometers long. Mm. So uh, in America, for us, that would be 50 miles um, was was Tokyo. Tokyo was itself was a really tough race because we did seven Mm. laps with uh, about a three mile. What is that? About a five kilometer four to five kilometer climb to finish each Mm. lap.
0: Um, (laughs) So it was,
1: yeah, it was, it was brutal. It was, it was, it was a tough, tough course. And that's where power to rate comes power. Yeah. The power to weight ratio really comes in on, on that factor, Mm -hmm. because you could definitely tell that in the Tokyo course, the bigger, the bigger guys, you know, they might be all powerful and really, really strong, but because of the because of the course, it was probably going to be more of a, a a little man's race, and yeah. it kind of finished like like that, you know. And I don't mean like little guys; I just mean guys that are that have just a much higher power to rate ratio and can sustain yep. that through through eighty kilometers. So the team really is really fun. It's really fun if you know what's going on. Uh, each <laughs> <laughs> so there is a point system. Each. Relay team has three members and you have a one pointer, two pointer, and a three pointer. A one pointer mm-hmm. would be the equivalent of an H2 or le- a men's H2 or less, or mm-hmm. a women's H3 or less. Mm-hmm. A two pointer would consist of a men's H3 mm-hmm. or a women's H4. Mm-hmm. And a three pointer would consist of a men's H5, which is a kneeler, or mm-hmm. a women's h5 Yep. yes so and then we have three three people on the uh, uh, on the team a one-pointer two-pointer three-pointer and then you have each writer does three laps typically three laps of a mm-hmm. shortened course that the that the race directors have have laid out in place uh, yep. the first person will go they'll finish their lap they'll cross the finish line uh, or uh, you know, a line. And then the yes. second person will go out of a shoot. Then that person will finish their lap. Then the third person will go after the fir- the third person goes, the first person who started the race will go back and line up in the chute in a pre-designated area. Mm-hmm. And then once that third person finished across their line on their lap, the first person will go again. And so we'll do mm-hmm. nine total laps. Yep. Each rider doing three laps in turns and then uh, it, it's really cool. Like I said, if you know what you're looking for, you can you can see one team go way out in head, depending on the dynamic of the lineup, yep. go out way ahead. And then by the end of that, be at the end of the the race, you have another team being able to catch that leading team at the very end. So mm. it's it's really cool. You can you can you know start whatever rider with whatever impairment you want in any order, yep. and you never know. You know, where you shouldn't really know who is going to finish. It's all strategy. It's it's a it's a lot yeah. of strategy. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it, it's crazy to watch because you 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 may have some teams putting their H five out first, and so they're yeah. much faster. And you know the the teams that have put their you know their H three or their H two rider out first. There's a big gap in terms of when they come across line and their next person goes. But then right. by the same token, there's another time where the team who kept their H5 back has their H5 out and you see them come screaming through the field. And <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, there's it's it's very hard to sometimes track who's doing what because, there's, you know, there's so many changes in the in the speed and it's a pretty crazy race so I, yeah. that was a great explanation Ryan so I, <laughs> I've got a good picture now. so I guess for you transitioning from someone who already raced and and you know was pretty active was it an easy transition like you you understood the sort of needs and and you know, what being an athlete is about? Because a lot of people who acquire their impairment, a lot of them come into sport without having really any sporting background. Do you feel it was an advantage? And if so, what was the advantage of having a sporting background beforehand?
1: I I guess my initial answer was going to be no, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. However, I would say it's not necessarily having the sporting background. It's having the it's having the competitive fire and having the mm. the passion for sport that really yeah. gave me the edge because para sport. And I apologize for using the term para sport because it's sport, right? And I hate, yeah. and I'm one of those that I don't like to use the term para athlete because para, what's a para athlete? Para athlete is an athlete, you know, we yeah. we work very, very hard at what we do. Yeah. So, but Getting introduced to para sport, there's not a lot of information out there. There's not a lot of understanding of how to make a team or what races to to show up towards too. So, mm-hmm. it, it does take a lot of determination, a lot of research, and a lot of just you know putting yourself in the right place to be able to make certain teams. So. Mm-hmm. To be able to just get on the hand bike and and ride, I mean, sure, being an athlete or being somebody that enjoyed, you know, getting outside and and riding, yeah, that's, that's an advantage. But once it came to like, okay, what races are there going to be, especially around the United States? I think it's easier in Europe. There's so many more races in Europe. But here in Australia, I'm sure, is is just as difficult as it is here. We're so spread out and there's really not a lot of races for paracycling and and hand cycling in in general here throughout the country in the United States. So mm-hmm. you really had to do your research. Yeah. The same thing is with a coach. I mean, if you want to be at the highest level of any sport, I don't care if it's able-bodied, I don't care if it's para, you have to have a coach right? Mm -hmm. And finding a coach. And that's, that's, that's my first recommendation to anybody I get asked all the time. Well, if you, what was your number one recommendation to anybody that wants to be a a competitive athlete in paracycling, get a coach, you have to have a coach. Mm -hmm. So Finding a coach in hand cycling, though, is not easy either. So you have to be able to research and be persistent about calling different individuals and Mm. finding out what their background is so that you can find a hand cycling coach Mm. and not just a a cycling coach. But I mean, even a cycling coach that does have some para to paracycling experience is a great, great start. So having an advantage, I don't think it's being active, I think it's a lot of it is, you know, being competitive and, mm-hmm. you know, having the drive, having the yeah. drive. Because if you if yeah. you, if you you want something that bad, you will go after it you'll like find. it's your next breath.
0: Yeah, you'll find a way of doing it. So mm-hmm. speaking of training, can you give us a, a rough idea of what your training looks like? You're in base phase at the moment of <laughs> training, is that right? Can you give us a rough idea of what a week's training would look like?
1: Sure. So, I mean, typically yes, this is the time of year that I would be in base phase, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. this, I'm sure, later, yeah. but I got injured. So, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm in base phase right now. My <laughs> training has kind of changed this off-season. Um, yep. but yeah, typically uh, we are in base phase, which is for me, yeah, I mean, my normal week of training is is anywhere between 15 to 24 hours on the bike a week. Mm-hmm riding five or six days a week and uh really it's it's a lot of hours per day Mm -hmm. yeah it's just a lot of a lot of hours i do a lot of a lot of rides in in zone two to be honest with you Mm -hmm. and then every once in a while i'll hit up the uh high intensity training some intervals i'm in arizona so the weather is actually getting beautiful right now and Mm -hmm. i can start start riding outdoors it, rather than it being really hot I guess everybody on the east Coast or the north in the United States gets snow so they're they're starting to ride indoors
0: indoors but, yeah um, but, you-
1: but for me I'm starting to starting to get outside but I uh, yeah right now it's just is base phase a lot of a, a lot of long zone two hours
0: honestly yep yeah. and do you do much strength work
1: no <laughs> my strength work <laughs> is on the bike no I do yep. not
0: okay so, it's functional strength going up hills in lower gears or something like that?
1: Yes. And yeah. that typically comes more so depending on what races are coming up, more so in season. And we'll start working mm-hmm. on uh, specifically specific types of training for a specific race. One of the things that I do is I get metabolic testing mm-hmm. four or five times a year because you got to know what you're la max is you got to know what your vo2 max is you got to know what what your body is doing and if you mm-hmm. really want to know what your what your zones are um it's not just looking at the heart rate monitor and you know finding out how fast or what gears you should be in at what heart rate it's you know and mm-hmm. knowing exactly what your body's doing when it's at, at what certain place so i do a lot of testing science is key i mean part of being a, a an elite athlete is is getting really in tune with science and i think that's what this is i mean not just mm. not just the science of the body but i mean then it's also what the nutrition and how everything you know comes together the science <laughs> is 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 huge you know it's i should have taken chemistry a lot better <laughs> when i was in school but um <laughs> but in it's, we all
0: <laughs> right but it's but
1: it's huge when it comes to 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 being successful i believe
0: yeah okay and so now i'm going right there's about four questions i have in my head so i've got to work out which order to ask them in let's talk (laughs) about your injury first Mm -hmm. so you you had an injury this year can you kind of briefly explain what that injury is and, and was and and how you've how you've managed that
1: so yeah, uh, I did the World Cup in Belgium and I did uh, the World Cup in, in, in Germany and the World Cup in Belgium was, was highly, highly successful. I was actually the World Cup leader at the time mm-hmm. and we went into the team relay and I just went over on the bike somehow, um, put my mm-hmm. arm down and broke the upper tuberosity of the shoulder. And for those that don't know what an upper tuberosity <laughs> is, it's basically the upper arm outside upper arm of the shoulder. Mm-hmm and pulled the bone right off of itself and had to go into surgery right away flew from flew from Germany or yeah flew from Germany straight to Houston had some of the best doctors in the world Martin USA doctors really got me in right away flew my family out to Houston and put the arm back together and my arm is immobilized for uh, you know 6 weeks <laughs> and when when you immobilize your arm for a para athlete, what that does it <laughs> takes you down from two limbs down to one. So yeah. yeah, so it's not just not riding that was difficult. It was every every day of life, your every single day thing was very hard, and it actually taxed my right arm, my non-injured arm, so much more than I could have ever ever thought. Um, mm. So. Add about uh, I went to physical therapy right away. We were working on range of motion from day one, worked with some of the best physical therapists, again, in the world up at the uh, Olympic Training Center, Olympic and Paralympic Training Center in Colorado mm-hmm. Springs. I was working with physical therapy two times a day, five days a week. Yep. And it's amazing how much you lose so fast, you know, not working on it and Um, I pushed my physical therapist, I was talking to my doctors every single day. Okay, we got to do more. I got to do more. I have to do more. And my doctor's like, No, 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 two
0: weeks, you're two (laughs) weeks out.
1: Yeah, you're two weeks out. No, Um, okay, can we at least can I at least lift some kind of weight? No, you can't. Okay. Three weeks, uh, three weeks out. Can we do something? Finally, he honestly at three weeks, he said, Okay, I'm going to start letting you do passive movement in it you're not gonna hurt it, everything is gonna be fine. And like I was persistent about doing something. And yeah, I mean, that's 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 the key for me is, it's not that I knew that I wasn't gonna be on the bike and riding and doing my my, my training, but it was mm-hmm. about doing what I can, you know, and, yeah. and, and being persistent about asking the doctor and asking the physical therapist every single day, can I do this? Can I do this? And then, you know, pushing the envelope listening but, being disciplined. i was going to
0: say but yeah, yeah. but listening as well like not right. going oh they've said no but i'm going to do it anyway
1: correct and doing it under the like that's what was key for me is at least i was under the f- supervision of the physical therapist two times a day where i could push the envelope but at <laughs> but at the same time if the physical therapist said no absolutely not then the answer was no absolutely not you know
0: and as you alluded to, this this impacts not only on your ability to do your sport, but also on your ability to do everything in life, like wheeling your wheelchair, transferring in and out of your chair, just doing anything that's functionally necessary. So how was that managed? Did you have extra support or did you just have to do, it, do that a different way?
1: It was both. So initially when it first happened, I definitely had extra support my wife was was there by my side every single every single moment you know i had i had my brothers come uh come to my house and they were you know helping me you know transfer from the couch to my chair you know and and Mm -hmm. do everything i possibly could i'm a i'm very prideful too. like i don't like help i don't like to ask for help you know not that asking for help is 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 bad you know it's just I want to be able to do it and I don't like to be injured, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. asking for help is a strength in my, in my opinion, you know, but I had to, and they were there and and willing to be there for me as well as, you know, especially when I got to the, to the uh, Olympic and Paralympic training center, the staff there and the team, team, the Team USA staff was there, Mm -hmm. you know, at a moment's notice if I needed anything. So yeah, there was tons and tons of support at the same time. I absolutely needed to change the way I did things. I do have I do have a smart drive that I hooked uh-huh. up to the back of my wheelchair. And for those that don't know, a smart drive is like a little electronic assist that I can attach to my my, my wheelchair. And I use my Apple Watch it's actually like a, to like a
0: yeah, like a motor. Like
1: a yep, it's like a motor. And mm. you know, so I would use that all the time um, mm-hmm. to help me get around it was nice being at the Olympic and Paralympic training center because I didn't have to get in and out of a vehicle. I could just go from a room to the, to the training center and do what I needed to do. But I I had to think of new ways to get on the bed, you know, think Mm. of new ways to to take a shower because it's not just like, you know, anybody else that injures their arm or an able-bodied individual that injures their arm. Okay. Don't use your arm. Okay. That's easy. You know, yeah, it sucks using one arm, but at least you can walk around. I mean, my arm, my arms are basically my legs. So it was all of, all of the above. It was, you know, definitely had tons and tons of support, which is, which is huge in recovery, but it's also figuring out new ways to, to, to do things. And, uh, you know, like I said before, it's for me, it was pushing my limits, you know, Mm -hmm. and pushing myself through discomfort. And I don't mean, discomfort of the injured arm it was pushing myself through discomfort of everything else that i could do but allowing yep. myself to to also know that don't push myself so far that i can't get out of bed the next day
0: yep. Yep. yeah yep yes it's, it's it's having that balance and so now right. we're so if that was in when when was, was that well may. Cup june no no that may. was may
1: end of end of may 2022 yes
0: okay so we're now 5 months down the track you're at about Mm -hmm. 95 percent in terms of your your recovery so that you know in terms of a time frame is that typical for for a, a similar sort of injury in someone who is so dependent on their upper arms or is that like generally shorter or about the same time that they would normally expect for that injury
1: i can't really answer what that what normalcy is all i can tell you is it was never going to be fast enough for me
0: (laughs) yeah there's that competitive part of ryan coming out (laughs) um so can you tell us anything about, did you change your nutrition? Like we have, this is a Parasports Nutrition Podcast, so obviously we have to talk a bit about nutrition and you've always been really conscious and, and diligent mm-hmm. with your nutrition and, and inquisitive with that. So uh, I'll ask in a second kind of what a typical day's food intake look like. or well, maybe we should start with that can we start yeah. with what, what would a typical day's food intake look like for you to support the training that you do? And then can we talk about how did that need to change and what specific things did you do during that recovery period?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So typically, I am carbs, I'm carb heavy, you know, mm-hmm. I will get in protein, I'll get in fats, but I'm very carb heavy, just because I do lots of miles on a in an endurance sport that mm-hmm. lots of miles and lots of time, and you know, doing what is it, Atkins or doing keto or doing any of mm-hmm. the other things, I mean, it's just going to deplete your glycogen stores. And I need to keep my glycogen stores as full as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So you know, I typically do start with with oatmeal. You know, I eat lots of fruit.
0: Yep,
1: uh, I do love eggs. You know, for the afternoons, A- protein is definitely recovery aspect, mm-hmm. and. Green leafy vegetables, lots and lots of green leafy vegetables, and I try to stay away from as much as I can any inflammatory foods and any refined sugar. Mm-hmm. I I remember talking to you, Liz, years ago <laughs> about sugar and saying, "Yeah, I'm going to eliminate sugar." And you're like, "Well, don't eliminate all sugar." And I was like, "Well, like milk, I got, I I want." You know, I'm not going to go to the skim milk or the 2% milk because it has sugar in it. And you look at me and you're <laughs> like, yeah, but that's not the same sugar you should avoid. <laughs> you know, so it's, yep. it's, it's not just, you know, eliminating certain things or, you know, putting certain things in. It's doing the research and really understanding what what sugars do what, what carbohydrates do what, I mean, talk, talk about rice, you know, there's a big difference between white rice and and, and brown rice and when you should eat mm. white rice and when you should eat brown rice, you know, for training. And, you know, it's knowing exactly what rice you should eat at what time. So mm. I will, I will look at that as well in my daily nutrition. So mm. I, for me too, it's not there for to, I will say nutrition is not a one size fits all aspect, mm. right? Yep. Each food does something different for each individual, mm. and it changes too. Like three years ago, two three years ago, I couldn't eat peanut butter. You know, it just mm. stayed in my stomach and bloated me. But you mm. can also train your stomach and train your digestive system to 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 really start digesting that properly. Mm. And sometimes it's not just peanut butter, it could be one specific type of peanut butter, that's really not yep. good for each individual. Um, yep. So it's it's about experimenting and finding out what breakfasts what you know, snacks, what in workout or in ride nutrition works for you, what post ride nutrition mm-hmm. works for you, and what dinners work for you to, to fuel you for the next day so that you can get the best out of your recovery, the best out of your, your your workouts, and then your best out of your your hydration you know knowing yep. exactly what your hydration is is key so
0: yeah. um i and don't like you know, to necessarily you train in a pretty hot you you train you know you, as you said you live in Arizona and and part mm-hmm. of the reason you're not outside riding you you tend to do your indoor riding during summer because it is very hot outside yes. has your sweat rate been affected by your injury like do you feel as though you sweat differently post injury than what you used to do pre injury
1: you know, no, I, I won't say, so now there's diff- three different phases of this injury. It's, you know, before mm-hmm. the injury, the injury, and then recovered, you know, aspect. Yep. And I will say my sweat rate pre-injury and recovered recovery aspect is about the same. It's gone back to, okay. back to where it was mm-hmm. the sweat rate. I believe, uh, in between it, I think it, diminished a little bit. However, Mm. I will say my body composition completely changed, my nutrition completely changed, and my activity level completely changed. Mm -hmm. So Mm. I hit three really big changes, you know, when I was hurt. So a lot of things had to change. I will say there's a big difference in my writing style. Uh, Mm. There's a big difference in my yeah, there's a big difference in my riding style. There's a big difference in my work ethic, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. And there's a big difference in the workouts that I do pre-injury and recovered, you know, Mm -hmm. so there's, there's a lot of things that have changed, but it's for the better, but it's for the better. Yep.
0: And so let's talk about this most recent injury and, and, you know, what you did nutrition wise. Was there anything specific that you did nutrition wise throughout the course of, your recovery from this bone breakage and the obviously significant drop in your energy expenditure and and through that rehab process
1: heavy heavy protein we went we went a lot more heavy protein really to to help heavy protein and more calcium based i would say yep. so one to help promote the repair of the bone and mm-hmm. to try to Keep the muscle from deteriorating as much as possible, you know, mm-hmm. and that that was tough because I really wasn't used to a higher protein diet, you know, and mm. I guess when you're a high level athlete, like I have everything, everything is so routine, everything is like, mm. okay, it's six o'clock in the morning it's time to get up okay it's 6 30 okay i gotta eat this okay at seven o'clock okay i gotta do this eight o'clock gotta do this you know everything is like time yeah. regimen i mean i I, mm-hmm. I mean i can go i can look at the clock and know immediately what i need to do mm-hmm. that's gonna benefit me for my rides today tomorrow the next day mm-hmm. when i got hurt it was like whoa <laughs> Whoa! Okay, what do I need to do? Okay, I need to sleep longer. Do I need to, you know, mm. what do I need to do? Even with nutrition and getting to, getting to the kitchen and looking. At, okay, I'm not going to eat oatmeal today, or I'm not going to eat. You know, I have to be very high protein. It was, it was something that I had to really lean on the nutritionist for. Mm. And Marta's our nutritionist at Team USA now, and she really talked to me about being on a very protein heavy diet and she told me that you know my body composition is going to change and you know it, it was it was kind of demoralizing to be honest with you it was a lot of uh, it, when I say my body composition changed I, I got fat <laughs> <for me. laughs> you know I got fat you know and I lost strength and I lost power at least that's what I felt like I did you know and mm. then here I am going okay am I eating too much like what is what is happening and I wanted to go back to my pre-injury routine soon, mm-hmm. you know, quickly. And I just had to keep on being disciplined and listening to the to the team around me say, "No, you have to stay on this protein, higher protein diet, having protein shakes, you know, after mm-hmm. after PT sessions where I didn't even there were sometimes I didn't even feel like I did anything. I didn't even break a sweat. Mm-hmm. And here I am going and like, "Okay, I got to drink this protein shake now." Okay. <laughs> I'll do it, you know.
0: And do you feel as though your return of strength actually was faster than what you thought it would be?
1: Yes, absolutely. And and that's the key that I've talked about many times with our nutritionists is, yeah, I, I mean, I, I did gain weight. And he told me, or we talked about it, and, and even, even our uh, – our other elite athletes I and mean, our coach, Sarah Hammer, she even told me too, she's like, we much rather you gain weight than lose weight because if you're yep. gaining weight, that means we're keeping the muscle on, right? Right, mm-hmm. And it's much harder to get that muscle back than it yep. would be just to drop you back down into into your normal training phase yep. and tra- training body composition, I should say.
0: yeah. And now are you back you know, you said you're about 95% sort of recovered. So mm-hmm. does that mean that your current training is still a little bit modified from where it would normally be? Or you, do you feel like you're sort of back in full training? It's just that there's certain components that you still have to be a bit wary of?
1: No, my, uh, yeah, my arm is fully fully healed. I'm, mm-hmm. like I said, I am 95, 90 to 95%. But that has to do with not the injury. That just has to do with bringing everything back into its normal parameters. I mean, there are, yeah. there is some soft tissue around the, the shoulder, the shoulder joint is the most complex. This is what I've learned after this injury mm. is the shoulder joint is actually the most complex joint in the human body. There's, mm. you know, so many, so many directions that you can move a shoulder. And when you are doing workouts with your shoulder, you want to do, or with any joint, you want to take that joint into a all of the ranges of motion and work it out in all of the ranges of motion that you possibly can. Well, Mm -hmm. with a knee, there's only two ranges of motion, (laughs) right? Elbow, two ranges of motion. There's not many, but with a shoulder, it's a hip, you know, not there's, it's complex, but not as complex as a, as a shoulder. shoulder. So we're, yeah. So we're still working on um, some range of motion. We're still working on some of the, the smaller tendons that were switched okay. off, because your body's an the body is an amazing thing. When it gets injured, it turns you know it turns muscles and ligaments and, and things off that mm. you know subconsciously. And so, like my rotator cuffs were turned off basically. My 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 scaps, my body turned it off. My bicep tendon was turned off. All of this, the deltoids, kind of when I say turned off, it would just it, it swells up and it stops you from even moving that you know. Mm. Okay. And so, but when it turns off you lose, you know, you atrophy, I guess that's the word is you atrophy and you lose, you lose musculature. So there are still a little things that there's a little bit of aches and pains, you know, but Mm -hmm. we are, yeah, I would say, you know, we're about 90 to 95% back to where, where I was pre-injury. Now, when you ask, am I doing the same workouts or are they modified? yes, the answer to, to that is yes. And a lot of it is because I like I, like I mentioned before, I do metabolic testing. And as soon as I got hurt, and as soon as the doctor cleared me to, to, to write again, I had to get a metabolic test to find out where I was that day. Because mm-hmm. where I was that day was completely different than where I was pre injury, obviously, yeah, you know, so yeah. And now we're working that back up. So I will, you know, I'm, been, I'm taking more metabolic tests to, to really start rebuilding the engine, if, if, mm-hmm. if, I, if I could say. Uh, so and, what that, about,
0: and what about yeah. your weight? Like that was something, you know, your weight went up. You felt like you put on some body fat during that, that phase where you were working mm-hmm. on protecting muscle mass. Is, how close is that back to where you would normally be at this time of the year?
1: I think, I think body weight wise, it's about where it would be at about this time now. And that's the, that's the other difference too, is we are sitting in October. Normally I would say between September and October are kind of like the down months. (laughs) right? (laughs) Where uh, I'm okay, I I normally feel okay to drink a beer occasionally, or I feel okay to have a scoop of ice cream, you know, I'm still doing Mm -hmm. base phase. But you know, the the, it's it's end of end of season, we haven't started the next season process yet. And I'll be honest with you this year, as soon as the doctor said, you're clear. I mean, it was it was on, it was on you know like <laughs> i I haven't had a scoop of ice cream in two months you know oh, right? Um, you need to <laughs> no way nope you know I mean if you want to be great if you if you want to be great you have to be willing to dis- be, be disciplined mm. enough to 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 take things out right I would much yeah. rather. For me, I would much rather enjoy my two hour ride, my three hour ride, you know, than enjoy a scoop of ice cream for five minutes, you know. <laughs> um, but that's the thing, you know, I mean, you have yep. to, you have to, no matter what, you have to find enjoyment. And if, if, yep. I'm not yep. saying don't have that scoop of ice cream every once in a while, I'm saying if you need that, you know, to, to let yourself, any athlete, if you need that to, to allow yourself to enjoy what you just did, eat that ice cream, go for it. You know, for me, it's, I just had a huge injury and I'm trying to, I I have to, I was off the bike for a certain amount of time. Now I have to make Mm. up that time, right. And that's what this is right now. So my body weight, yeah, I think it's, it's back to right about the, about where it should be for this time of year. It's not where I want it to be for, for race conditions, but race conditions aren't going to, aren't going to be needed until March or April.
0: Yeah, so yeah. You, you know how to get to, to those race condition weights and this is, yeah. you know, I, I, what, I guess what I'm interested in is you felt like you were putting on a lot of weight, but obviously that was actually, would you say that was mm-hmm. it came back off relatively easily? No, <laughs> <It never laughs> you have to work no. pretty hard.
1: <laughs> uh, you always have to work hard, you know. And that's yeah. the other thing is it's it's different weight because, like, through an injury, you get inflammation, you know, and mm. and your body is is really adding different. I don't even know what to call it. I'm just going to try to be a layman about it, and and you know, you just in, in, it, it's it's starting to incorporate different things that your body needs to to in, inflame itself, you know, so mm-hmm. a lot of times, it's not necessarily that I put on body fat, I did. Yeah. But a lot of times it was it's it's trying to get that body back into getting all the inflammation out right? And yeah. whatever those chemicals, and all those enzymes are that the body fills itself with. And it just doesn't happen at the injury site, it happens through, throughout your body. So now it's really trying to get myself back to not just flushing that all out. I mean, it takes time. Mm-hmm. But but being patient with it also, you know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's been really key for me throughout this injury is I even actually had to write that on my mirror in my bathroom is be patient, <laughs> be patient. Um, because yeah. I, I'm not I'm not patient, you know, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not patient, I want it all back right now, today. And I really had to, we didn't talk about this at all. But I really had to rely on sports psychology through this injury also, because there was a lot of uh, I'll say, you know, through this, it was it was very dark dark times, you know, and not dark times in the aspect of like, I didn't want to continue on dark times in the aspect of I missed my sport. You know, I Mm. missed my bike and feeling like uh, I I would question if I was doing the right thing, you know, Mm. and there were times that I would question if I was ever going to be able to get back on the bike again, Mm. you know? And when I would think about that, I mean, I would, it would, it would move me. You know, move me to tears because, uh, I mean, my family and my friends. You know, nothing will go above them, obviously. But my sport and my bike is is my friend. You know, it's yeah. very it has a very yeah. you know close place in my heart. And this sport isn't just a sport that I compete in, but this sport allows me to do the things that I do outside of the sport. Um, it gives me the strength to be able to to lift my daughter every single day to play with her with the energy that I have, and you know to to really when you have your arm immobilized and you can't lift your daughter, or you can't you know mm. hug you know your wife or your kids or your loved ones like you normally did, and to to, to look at my bike and go, am I ever going to be able to get that on? You know, I owe a lot to my bike and to my or to my hand bike into into the sport, and mm. it's being able to live as active and as normal of a life as I do.
0: Yep. Yep. Awesome. Thanks for walking us through that, Ryan. Yeah. Any specific recommendations that you have for athletes who may be looking to get into paracycling? I know you said at the start just you know, being really persistent and, and doing a lot of research in terms of finding a coach and finding the races. Anything else that that you'd recommend for potential athletes?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, you know, do your research and find a race, you know, Mm. but once you find that race and you see other hand bikers, other paracyclists out there, ask, ask questions, Mm. do not be afraid. You're going to be nervous, Uh, but Go through it and ask questions. Ask them how they got into it. Ask them what other races they do. Ask them about their training. Ask them about their bike. Right. And, Mm. you know, and then if you see the elite ones out there, uh, I mean, I can throw names out there, but even if you see me out there, feel free to go up to them and ask them because. Like I said before, I owe everything, not everything, I owe a lot to this sport. I love this sport and I want to build it as much as I possibly can. And I know, Mm -hmm. I know a ton of the elite cyclists in the world. I know there's, you know, a couple down, a couple, like a name off down in Australia that they love this sport and they will be more than willing to answer the questions to put you in the right path, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Do your research, find, find the races, get a coach, got to get a coach, but ask, ask, ask questions. Mm. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And the people that have already been down that path, they can help you find the documents, find the research, find the races to, to really, to get out there and then Mm. lean on their passion. If you find that you love the sport as much as the elite guys, lean on their passion too.
0: Yep good words what about recommendations that you may have for health practitioners so you you know you've worked a lot with sports psychology sports nutrition obviously mm-hmm. sports medicine any recommendations that you have for them in working with para athletes
1: well each group is a little bit different for sports psychologists i would say just Keep on keeping on. <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, we're 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 human too, really. Yeah. As far as nutritionists go, I mean, I think nutritionists are, are are great and they do they have the study of their field. And I think you and the other nutritionists that I've worked with that understand Parasport, I think they understand that individuals with disabilities and in different impairments need different nutritional levels than a normal mm-hmm. able bodied individual. So, you know, I mean that's the big I guess, as far as like physical therapy, occupational therapy, the big recommendation, I would say is peer to peer support is huge, you know, so right. if you are working with a para athlete or, you know, paraplegic, quadriplegic, anybody, I would recommend getting another quadriplegic, getting another person paraplegic, somebody with a like impairment in there, mm-hmm. um, that's been through there down that path. Uh, mm. Because it's one thing when you get an able bodied telling you, hey, this is how you get into a vehicle. Hey, Mm -hmm. this is how you get into uh, this race chair. This is how you play wheelchair basketball. It's another thing when, you know, you get a para athlete come in and go, hey, let me show you my sport. Hey, let me show you my truck. Hey, let me show you my, you know, so don't be afraid to ask other individuals with impairments, whatever they are, to be a peer supporter.
0: Mm, Awesome. Okay, Ryan, We've taken up a lot of your time today, and I know you've probably <laughs> no got worries. some some sleeping to do, potentially, <laughs> or some eating. <laughs> some eating. Yes. Before you go, though, one last question. What's your favorite mm-hmm. food?
1: Oh, golly. My favorite, favorite food? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's pizza and ice cream, man. <laughs> Just got done <dumped laughs> to- it pizza and ice cream (laughs) oh man when i'm done and retired it's going to be a whole different body composition right there i tell you that
0: (laughs) any particular favorite toppings on your pizza
1: i give it to give me all of them Mm -mm. it
0: just depends
1: (laughs) i'm one of those where it's just depending on the day and how i feel some days it's pepperoni some days i can do you know chicken and and onions
0: mm-hmm. other
1: days it's just straight cheese i mean it just depends on the day as far as ice cream goes as well same thing <laughs> it just i'll look <laughs> I look look in the look in the in the ice cream cabinet and go i'm feeling this today so no uh-huh. it's, just, it's just dependent it's, just give it all to me
0: <laughs> fair enough and of course the one controversy <laughs> can you do pineapple on a pizza or not
1: Hmm, so here's the other controversy I just found out. I was just in Hawaii. <laughs> it's actually not a Hawaiian pizza if you put pineapple on a pizza. Oh. It's actually what South is it? American.
0: Ah, there you go. Pineapples
1: are actually native to, to South America, not Hawaii. Yeah, I, I I gotta say no on that though. <laughs> <laughs> Can you put mango a- on a pizza?
0: Oh. there you go (laughs) cool awesome thank you so much ryan you've had such a such an interesting journey i think over the last particularly the last couple of years the highs and lows it's it's a little crazy at times when you think about it but well done to you on on your persistence and your patience and even though that's not your natural being listening to, to those that have recommendations for you and having the, you know, the wherewithal to see the end point rather than the immediate day-to-day. It's been fantastic having you on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Liz. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really, really do appreciate that.
0: Ryan's obviously a well-disciplined athlete and that's something that comes fairly naturally once he's made that decision. The patient side of things doesn't. And I think it's a great lesson to be learned that patience needs to be applied along with that discipline because great performances and and recoveries from injuries don't come quickly. and They require a lot of persistence. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a message if you have any feedback or people you'd like to hear from. And I hope you'll join us next time when we talk to Jim Murdoch, who is the athletic trainer for Team USA Wheelchair Rugby.